Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bonas. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. All right. Well, my name is Mike. If uh, I'm not familiar face to y'all, I'm really excited to uh, be uh, here in this position sharing this moment with you guys. Boredom is the word I'm going to start with right now. I sometimes wonder if Christian spirituality doesn't boil down to what you do with boredom. So all summer, we're going to be meditating on the Pentecost story in Acts chapter 2. And if there's one pattern that I've noticed about life when I think about Pentecost, is that for every wellspring of Pentecost... There seems to be a desert of boredom. Think about, the, think about the Pentecost. I can't say the first Pentecost because Pentecost had been observed for thousands of years before the one we're talking about. But the Pentecost in Acts, we uh, start with this. Uh, on one occasion, sometime between when Jesus was resurrected and when he ascended, while he was eating with the disciples, he gave them this command. He said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait, wait for the gift my father promised you, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So after that promise, Peter and the rest of the gang did just what Jesus said. They waited. They shuffled from place to place, the temple, the Mount of Olives, Really, just whatever space they could find to just wait. How bored do you think they got? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, Luke writes. No place special, just another place waiting for something. And then came the wind the fire, the cacophony of languages, the general bewilderment of the crowd, and the mockery of the cynics. It's 9 a.m. and they're drunk already? Lightweights. Now, had Peter actually been drunk, I think it would have been a miracle for how fast he was on his feet because he right away launches into an improv sermon. These friends of mine aren't drunk as you suppose. No, what you see here was spoken of through the prophet Joel long ago. In the last days it will be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh. All humanity. Every single person. You see, up till then, God had poured out his spirit on occasional Times. He poured out his spirit on particular people at particular time for particular purposes. And last week, when Beth launched our uh, sermon series, she explained and, and unpacked a lot of that Old Testament stuff for us. But here it's Pentecost, the Pentecost. And now it's on all flesh. 
It's as if when Christ ascended into heaven, it unlocked this like radical generosity. And God's very presence is available now to all people, all the time, unleashing a new era of life-transforming love on earth. Sounds awesome. But we don't always experience this, right? For whatever reason, uh, human beings find it difficult to dwell in Pentecost. At best, Pentecost is an oasis amid a desert of boring indifference. Our world, whole world seems to be shrouded with this dark cloud of spiritual indifference. Now, I'm a bit of a sci-fi nerd, and the metaphor that comes to my mind is this thing called a tractor beam. And I was reminded at home by Becky and Ari that not everybody knows what a tractor beam is. Are there any sci-fi people here who know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. You can explain this to your neighbors later if they don't get it. But essentially, you know, there's like, I don't know, it's kind of like a, a, like a meme almost where like if you see a flying saucer, they usually kind of go over some farm and then like there's like this beam of light and it like sucks a cow up. Okay, that's a tractor beam. It like pulls. It's like this force that just pulls you in. And this cloud of spiritual indifference, this like boredom, this this ennui or whatever you want to call it, it's like this cultural tractor beam that sucks us in. We're all vulnerable to the tractor beam of indifference, and it pulls us away. It pulls us away from God. It pulls us away from our humanity and each other. It pulls us away from creation. But thank God for the oases. And it's moments like Pentecost when God breaks through. I believe God uses these moments to teach us deep, important lessons in how to live the good life in Him, in God. And today I, was, I want to start by just sharing with you some of the lessons I've learned on my journey, and later on we're going to come back to Peter's story and meditate on some of his lessons. So we'll start with lesson number one for me. When I was in first grade, I, it was recess, I was playing soccer, and I've always been a natural defender, so um, one time I managed to get my head in the, in the, in the way of a, of a dangerous cross. But the ball striking my face turned out to be more dangerous than the pass that I was intending to interrupt. And um, the sting of that impact made me cry in pain. And while I was like rubbing away the hurt, I opened my eye and those cries of pain morphed into kind of panicked cries of fear. My right eye had gone dark. Now first, the teacher whisked me away to uh, the you know, school infirmary and then they called my mom and she took me to the hospital. And then three months, two hospitals and one surgery later, I re-entered society to begin my life as the guy with the weird eye. As a result, I have a lot of sympathy for people with body image issues. I know the insecurity and bewilderment of receiving gawking looks, insensitive remarks, and even unsolicited offers for prayers and miracles. It's just an uh, occupational hazard for, for me. Now, after Bible college, I was uh, hunting for my first gig as a pastor. And some church leaders, they encouraged me that maybe you should like wear a cosmetic contact lens to hide 
the weirdness. And I told him, I'd already tried that. You see, like I, I did it in high school. That was, that was kind of like the apex of like my, you know, painful body image stuff. But at that, that's when I real or discovered I had ulcers in my weird eye and those made wearing a, uh, a lens extremely painful. But that wasn't good enough for some of these leaders. One pastor actually asked me, if you know that something could be an obstacle to the gospel, wouldn't you want to do something about it? <laughs> I know. In the moment, I didn't realize how like, like close encounter of the weird kind this was, but it was, it was the weirdest job interview ever. Anyways, but that was the day... Upon reflection, that was the day I realized that there are many Gospels, and they're all competing for the allegiance of church people, and that day I'd come up with, up against the health and wealth Gospel. And this is a Gospel that has no room for the hurting, no room for the wounded, no room for the poor in spirit, all those, all the least of these that we were just singing that, you know, you, you know, that God blesses, well, the health and wealth gospel has no time for them. Now, I thank God that my encounter with that gospel wasn't the final word on my life. And as I've contended with this world of uh, indifference with its tractor beam on all of us, um, and, 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 and dealt, you know, and, and, and observed it really like having a bigger impact on people who have it far worse than me. I've learned on many occasions the lesson, the Pentecostal lesson, that God generously pours out his spirit on all flesh, even when that flesh is wounded and scarred and traumatized. Second lesson. They say that traveling the world will broaden your horizons and uh, it'll help you learn things and it'll boost your sense of peacefulness and well-being. Travel's really good for you. And conversely, if you don't travel and you don't meet people who are different from you, you become vulnerable to that tractor beam of indifference and, and it can lead to fear and hostility. And so travel's good for you. And from my experience, this is true not just of geographic travel, but also when you have interactions with people from different church traditions. I call it spiritual tourism. <laughs> I've met plenty of Christians who think that their tradition is the only tradition, but I've learned that they're just flat wrong. God has taught me all kinds of things when I'm relating to Christians who are different than me. Here's a little spiritual resume of mine. And uh, I've, I've had just so many great opportunities. I was born into a long line of Mennonites. And those are Anabaptist, uh, peace-loving people most of the time. My parents, just as, you know, the, the life would have it, they found themselves living in towns that had no Mennonite churches. So I grew up in Alliance churches. And over the years, I've invested a ton of my time into Alliance communities as both a pastor and an elder. When I went to Bible college, I was also drawn to charismatic expressions of faith. And you might find this surprising, but the first time I ever experienced the gift of tongues was in a Lutheran church in Regina. <laughs> and when my wife Rebecca and I lived in Montreal, 
uh, we led a couple of house churches, and that's a whole nother church experience. And when that season of ministry ended, we found our way into a Presbyterian community. And we moved back to Alberta about nine years ago. I started uh, re-engaging uh, the academy, and uh, I finished my graduate work in biblical studies. I did it at a Baptist seminary. More recently, I've been drawn to contemplative spirituality. And in the process, I've engaged a Franciscan friar to be my spiritual director. Great guy. I love him. And now, Rebecca and I, we find ourselves drawn to this beautiful little church in Bowness. And we could not be more thrilled. The wider the variety of Christians I meet, the wider my amazement at all the ways the Spirit works in and through different people. And this is how I'm learning the lesson that God generously pours out his spirit on all flesh, even when that flesh has different experiences and different ideas about God. Now, my, for my third lesson, I want to highlight there's one particular group of people who have taught me huge lessons on how God pours his spirit out on everyone. And this is the LGBTQ community. Interestingly, I this is where I want to bring Peter back into the story. I, I think my lesson that I'm learning parallels with a similar lesson that Peter received, only it was after the Pentecost story. The story of his lesson that I'm referring to can be found in Acts chapters 10 and 11. I would encourage you to make a little note of Acts 10 and 11 and just go there and meditate on that story this week. In a nutshell, though, um, this story tells us that Peter's spiritual imagination had been shaped by how he was taught to read the Bible. And that teaching simply did not have any room for non-kosher Gentiles. It didn't have a square inch of space to give anybody who didn't conform to what Peter was told the Bible says about who God blesses. Now, through a series of visions and dreams, God reveals to Peter that he did have room for non-kosher Gentiles in his family. And then he pours his spirit out on a Roman centurion named Cornelius and on his entire household. And this leads Peter to exclaim in astonishment, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts people from every nation. That word nation could be translated people group, like any people group, anyone, as long as you fear God and do what's right. Now, Peter had his, uh, his understanding of Scripture radically adjusted that day when he met Cornelius, but he wasn't the only one who needed an adjustment. Later, he's called before the church elders in Jerusalem to explain himself, and he is, again, very clear in his reasoning. And when he, he says, when God shows up, God doesn't play by human rules. If God gave them, Cornelius and his family, his household, if God gave them the same gift that he gives to us, who was I with my incomplete understanding of the Bible? Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? So here's how my lesson is similar to Peter's. I've been on this earth for a good long time. And in that time, God has brought a lot of queer people into my life. 
And as I've borne witness to the work of the Spirit in and through my queer siblings in Christ, I am learning the lesson that God generously pours out his Spirit on all flesh, even when that flesh doesn't fit into my inherited readings of the Bible. I've learned to say, like Peter, if God gives queer people the same gifts that he gives me, who am I with my incomplete understanding to stand in the way? But here's the rub. Just because I'm learning that God's Spirit is poured out on everyone, it doesn't give me immunity to this tractor beam of indifference. We're, we're all like that dude with the half-finished six-pack in the boat. It is super easy for take, to take my exclusive judgment and, and take it from one set of people and just transfer it to another group. It's usually the group who still think the way that I used to think. Like, why can't they get with the program and be as smart and enlightened as I am with all the lessons that I'm learning? Let's be honest. God might pour out his spirit on all of us, but some of us really struggle to believe it, right? And live in that generosity that he offers us. What are we to make with all this indifference that we contend with? The moment I let my judgment shift like that, I'm right back where I started. I'm stuck in the tractor beam of indifference. I'm harboring judgment toward people who just don't get it, as if there's not enough of God's spirit to go around. And yet the truth is, there is enough. God is generous. In Acts chapter 2, we've learned at Pentecost that Peter recognizes the fact that God is generous with his spirit. It's an ancient promise foretold by the ancient sage like Joel. And then in Acts 10, in the story of Cornelius, God shows up and he, he shows Peter the full extent of this generosity. God's desire is to share his spirit, pour his spirit on all people. And, and um, this desire is so deep that it smashes every boundary that is lodged in, in our limited ima human imaginations. But as forgetful humans, sometimes knowing the facts and the extent of God's generosity isn't enough, even for Peter. All you have to do is read the rest of the Bible, particularly Galatians, and you will see Peter's ongoing need to relearn God's generosity over and over again. He had a real uh, good uh, row with Paul, and Paul writes about it in Galatians. So where does that leave us? Well, it might not be much, but Peter himself has written this little itty-bitty clue into the Bible. According to tradition, we've received uh, a couple of letters that he's written, and they're, they're situated near the end of the Bible. And it might be easy to overlook this, but in his second letter, there's this tiny breadcrumb that indicates that Peter might have discovered a cure to his forgetfulness and his judgmental indifference. This is how the older and wiser Peter begins his second and final letter. See if you can pick up on the clue. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Do you see the clue? I'll underline it on the next slide. God has given us these great promises and the fact of his the, the fact of his generosity is a promise. He's pouring out his spirit. The extent of his generosity is a promise. He's pouring it out on all flesh. And why has God given us these promises? So that through them you can participate in the divine nature and experience escape from corruption in the world. The tractor beam, like if Peter knew about Doctor Who and all the great sci-fi classics, he would have maybe used, he would have talked about corruption in the world the same way I'm talking about it. These evil desires that we just seem to not be able to escape. Now, I, I just, it makes me think about this. Would Peter have written this? This left this little breadcrumb if he hadn't experienced it for himself. Like, you know, can he just say that because it's just, oh, it's, it's, what, it's what church leaders are supposed to say, right? Say good things. I, I don't think so. I think he put it there because I think it behind it is there's some experience. He, he must have known at least a little bit about what it means to escape the corruption in the world. And if it's possible for Peter, it should be possible for us, no? After all, like the whole, the whole lesson of Pentecost is that God pours his spirit out on all flesh. So if it's good for Peter, it should be good for us. So here's the thing. If we're honest, <laughs> we have to admit we struggle to believe and live as if God generously pours out his spirit. But the good news is, thanks to this little breadcrumb, we can know that we can escape from the tractor beam. That's pretty good news. I think that's a gospel I want to get behind. But if you're like me, you wonder how. How can I escape indifference and fear and hostility? Well, it probably won't be a big cosmic boot that, that helps rescue you. But let's go back to the breadcrumb in Second Peter. Why did God give us new life in Jesus? He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Let that sink in for a second. Peter seems to think that participating in the very nature of God is the whole point of knowing Jesus. Union with God. So God is so generous. He wants people to participate in him. That is, in some mysterious way, be part of him. Sounds like a little bit like heaven, doesn't it? But 
I think it's the kind of heaven we get to practice here and now. I think each time we see old man's beard draped on a Douglas fir and we say thank you, we practice. Each time we confess when we're in the wrong and say I'm sorry, we practice. Each time we hear God's voice in a songbird, we practice. Each time we open ourselves up to another and risk saying, I forgive you, we practice. Now, we probably won't experience a steady stream of Holy Spirit-induced participation in the divine nature kind of bliss all the time. We can't do that any more than we can assume that a big cosmic boot will come to our rescue every time. Our world is the way it is. It's shrouded in indifference and darkness and boredom. And that's just a fact of life. This dark cloud is always trapping us, it seems, even at the best of times. But this doesn't stop God. He breaks through and he pours his spirit on all people. It's just that it comes in moments. Now today I shared some of those moments from my life. We meditated on some of the times that broke through to Peter at Pentecost and with Cornelius. And ultimately, whenever it was that he experienced this participation in the divine nature. And it's a little taste like heaven. Now, these tastes, um, for now, these tastes will have to do. Because I guess we're just not ready for heaven yet. But we can practice. And with practice, we can get better at recognizing the Pentecost moments. And we can enjoy them. We can participate in them with practice we can escape the world the worldly indifference now one of the practices which unites us to god is coming to this table jesus gave us this table as an open invitation to open ourselves up to god's spirit and it's a practice we get to do every week here at Awaken. And so I want to invite, invite Nikayla up here to, uh, to lead us in the ceremony of uh, gathering around the Lord's table.